This is Researching Transit, the public transport research podcast. Today's host is Professor Graham Curry from the Monash Public Transport Research Group. Hello and welcome to Researching Transit. My name is Graham Curry, and this podcast is on the theme of public transport reliability. And we have the great Assistant Professor Niels van Oort to this podcast to go through uh, his book chapter in the Handbook of Public Transport Research on Public Transport Reliability. Welcome to the podcast, Niels. Thank you, Graham. Pleasure to be here. Now, Niels is an Assistant Professor and also Co-Director of the Smart Public Transport Lab in the Faculty of Civil Engineering and Geosciences at, at TU Delft, the Technical University of Delft. So, uh, Niels, tell us a little bit about what you do in research and teaching at TU Delft. Yes, thanks. Yeah, that's that's a great job, actually. Um, and in general, you could say it's a couple of things we're doing. We are researching. We have a research agenda uh, together with many uh, uh, PhD and postdoc uh, colleagues. Uh, I teach to uh, bachelor and master students, also professional training. Uh, we are involved in, and I'm involved in uh, projects. And, and all of this is, of course, related to uh, public transport or smart public transport, as you may, uh, may say, um, uh, to, to help the industry in the end to provide insights to make public transport uh, uh, more effective, more efficient, including first and last mile and emerging modes, new uh, forms of uh, shared mobility also were interesting uh, last year to uh, investigate, uh, to do research on. Sounds great. Now, how did you get to this position, Niels? Because you're a bit more of an industry guy than you were an academic. You have a bit of a heritage, a bit like mine, I think. Uh, there are some similarities uh, indeed, uh, Graham. Uh, if, if I look back, it's I'm a kind of a boomerang. I, I left the university a couple of times as a, as a master student, and then I came back as a PhD student. I came back as an assistant professor again, and now I'm here full-time uh, position in the Smart Public Transport Lab. Um, and for me, important part of my career has always been uh, the link to the industry, as you said. I used to work at an operator in The Hague, public transport operator. Also used uh, to work as a, as a consultant, which I both like very much, but I also do like uh, to, to, to gain insights, to gain knowledge about public transport, because I think there's much to gain in this, uh, in this wonderful world. Um, I try to do it always in a part-time position to make the connection between practice and, um, and, and, and research, which I think is, is very useful and important. However, when we started this, the, the Smart Public Transport Lab, uh, we are now about uh, 25 researchers, to about 25 students a year. It got a little bit of uh, much work, so I needed to, uh, to, uh, to pick sides, so to speak. But happy to say that I'm still quite uh, well linked to the industry because, yeah, that's, that's key for me doing research is helping out uh, uh, the authorities, operators, uh, et cetera, to make public transport uh, more efficient and more effective. Yes, it's good to keep your feet on the ground uh, because in the end, we're here to help industry. Now, you are co-director of the Smart Public Transport Lab. Um, and the other co-director, of course, is Audit Katz, who in episode 24, uh, who he's also got a chapter in the book, He's already talked to us a bit the, about the Public Transport Lab. What's sort of your side of the lab and what sort of projects have you been getting involved in? 
Yeah, it's great to uh, to do it together with Odette. I think it's also nice to have this lab uh, run by two people uh, in in this case. That's that's really fun and, and useful. I think if I look at my uh, my work uh, besides the the service reliability. Um, research line which we will discuss in a minute um, there's a lot of attention to the to the chain of public transport door-to-door -door mobility and i think it's safe to say that access and egress is quite a weak link of, of public transport so what i did last years um, is quite a lot of investigating actually the access and egress especially you can imagine from a dutch perspective looking at uh, bicycles as uh, access or egress so it's also about shared bicycles how do they team up, you could say, with public transport? Are they compete or completing public transport? That's a, that's a big piece of, um, of my work, uh, work these days. Also, uh, emerging modes, uh, shared mobility, uh, micro-mobility, on-demand. Uh, I think you know them all. Um, they are entering the market, sometimes also leaving the market. But it's interesting to see what, what is in this, what's in it for society, what's in it for public transport, these new modes. How could we actually unlock the real value of them? That's one of my main research questions uh, these days. And there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, work to do still there. Well, uh, of course, you've mentioned first last mile access and you live in the country that seems to have solved this more than almost any with the great uh, bicycle access the bicycle hire schemes uh, to stations huge station access mode share from cycles what is it the netherlands got right about that that we can learn from yeah, there's a whole set of of uh, of, of um uh, points to to be discussed here. We found out that there's about 40, 40 uh, challenges to be uh, to be dealt with. I'm not going to repeat them all here, but it's good to say that we have uh, indeed. If you look at our train system, about half of the train passengers in the Netherlands come by bike to the to the to the stations, and that's of course uh, from all kinds of societal uh, goals. Very interesting from a health perspective, space perspective, uh, uh, environment perspective. That's interesting. However, there's still also for us, I think, uh, some room for improvement um, because I think especially at the more high level uh, local and regional public transport, say light rail, say metro, say uh, BRT systems, uh, I think we can also uh, improve on that part. I think access to the trains and also egress with the shared bicycle system are doing well, but from the more local regional level, there's, uh, there's um, uh, space for improvement. But the lesson learned, I think, just start with it. Uh, we didn't. We didn't change. Uh, we didn't start with our system overnight. It also took us decades. Um, but still, it's never too late to start with it. To allocate space, to manage safety for bicycles, to manage uh, safe and and safety and space for uh, parking your bicycle at the station. Uh, it's never too late to start. I would say to everybody around the world. Yes, but of course, your bicycle revolution, which uh, the Netherlands is famous for, uh, did start in the 70s and 80s. It was a decision that was made. So it is possible to change the world if we want to. Yeah, I, tot I totally agree there. Because if you look back uh, to those days, there were also plans about highways into the city of Amsterdam, for instance. So it's not that we have have done this forever. It was indeed uh, those uh, decades that we that we changed. And in the end, it's a choice. What kind of city do you want to be? What kind of country? What kind of region do you want to be? What do you think is important? And then uh, pick your pick your mode. I always say, uh, looking for the optimal mix of modes in your city or regions. That's a political choice in the end. 
Fantastic. Now, of course, you mentioned your work in industry. And of course, uh, we didn't talk about your PhD, but your PhD was about reliability, which is what we're going to talk about next. Is that right? Yep. Totally correct. So what was your new contribution to knowledge of your PhD? Yeah, that's better to ask others. But if I if I may, uh, must, uh, must make a guess, I think what I think, what I consider an important contribution is to make the shift thinking about reliability from a passenger perspective instead of a supply perspective. And we're talking about trains being not on time or buses or, or metros, but in the end, it's about the passenger uh, being on time. And what I provided in my, uh, my PhD thesis was methods, approaches, algorithms to actually make the calculations from supply side toward demand side to provide real insights in, in actual service reliability from a passenger perspective. Yes, that's very much a, a key insight, isn't it, about what's been happening in research in public transport really over the last three decades, I'd say, is that we are trying to get back to the passenger uh, because that's in theory what it's all supposed to be about. Now, so that's a great interest, interesting uh, introduction as well to the chapter, which is chapter 13 of the Handbook of Public Transport Research. It's Service Reliability, a Planning and Operations Perspective by Niels Van Oort. So what, what is the purpose of your chapter? Yeah, the purpose of, uh, of this chapter, I think, is to provide insights and, and knowledge to, to enable uh, researchers and practitioners to, to understand what service reliability really is. And again, from a, from a passenger perspective, uh, in addition to, uh, to a supply perspective, and by understanding um, the phenomenon of service reliability, we can make next steps towards improving it because all passengers... Uh, agree that service reliability is one of the most important factors of uh, public transport quality. It's mentioned uh, in all surveys uh, you see all over the world as an important factor, but also in general as a dissatisfying factor of an yes. insufficient factor, you could say. So there's room for improvement. Um, and by understanding the phenomenons uh, of, of service reliability, we can actually make steps to improve it. And then I look at two aspects, the operational perspective, which was already there before my thesis, I should say. So how could we try to uh, reschedule vehicles, et cetera, in, in, during operations? Uh, but my thesis mainly focused on the planning stages. So how could we design networks, infrastructure networks, service networks, timetables that actually enable a higher level of reliability? Fantastic. Yes, so uh, you start in the chapter to talk about the elements of service reliability. Take it apart for us. Uh, you mentioned uh, demand and supply sides of things. Maybe you could tell us a bit about the demand side. What what exactly causes unreliability? Yeah, there are quite some uh, some causes. And if you look in the book uh, later, you can see that I made a great picture with a lot of arrows in there. Actually. Uh, uh, not allowed in any figure to, to make it like this because it's quite an, uh, a spaghetti, you could say. But that's actually the point of, of what I try to make there. There are quite a lot of uh, factors. It's not that there's one factor which you should focus on, uh, which makes it harder, of course, to deal with it. In the end, it's about a couple of things. It's about the strategic, tactical, and operational level. If you really might want to improve it, you need to, to do a lot of things. Um, if we look at the causes, they can indeed be internal or external. Some things we are, are harder to control than others, for instance, the weather. Um, but you can also think about uh, traveler behavior and, and how to enable people, for instance, to board and alight in a smooth way. 
that that uh, relates to the design of the of the stops, that relates to the design of the vehicles, the doors, for instance, the number of doors and the, the width. Uh, but it's also about uh, scheduled quality. That's actually one of the main chapters in my uh, thesis. Because in general, when I started, I used to work at an operator, as I said. When we talked about unreliability, people were always blaming the driver. The driver is too late. And sometimes that's correct. But sometimes it's not the driver to blame, it's the scheduler to blame. If you design a poor schedule, you will end up with poor operations. And, and I try to give insights in that uh, aspect and, and also give uh, um, solutions to improve that uh, scheduling. And you mentioned as well that it's the infrastructure that you're dealing with as well. It's not just an operations or a scheduling issue. Tell me about the infrastructure-related issues. Yeah, there are a couple of things here. It's about infrastructure networks and it's about service networks. And, and to give you two examples, uh, what I looked at from the infrastructure perspective was about terminal design. And I was actually involved in, this, in the development of a new light rail project, Ransadrail, which was a high-frequent system. Um, and we, we shifted from turning loops to tail tracks uh, to, to at the terminal stations. And um, people were not used to the capacity limits of tail tracks instead of uh, turning loops. So what I showed with simulation is it actually showed the impacts of infrastructure choices. So how many switches, how long is the, are the tracks, that kind of things, um, to show and to stress the importance. If you if you want a reliable service, it might you might end up with extra switches with extra tracks, which comes with the price, of course, uh, but also come with uh, additional benefits, namely increased service reliability. So that on the one hand, and the other one was about service networks. And an example there is the tendency for us planners to uh, increase line lengths. Yeah, of course, with longer lines, you uh, connect more points together. So that's a good good thing, you would say, and I totally agree. But on the other hand, by increased line length, you also increase in general service unreliability. So there I added actually a new network design dilemma. So uh, to and, and looking for the trade-off between the, the benefit of longer lines on the one hand um, and the downside, namely more unreliable services on the on the other hand. Yes, I recall in my youth when I had hair, I was a, a bus planner in London where, you know, uh, buses were unreliable at two o'clock in the morning, uh, not at the peak of the peak. They were continuously unreliable. And there was a lot of discussion there about shortening lines deliberately to try and better manage unreliability. Now, you mentioned vehicle trip time variability, the, the fact that the time varies. And there were three sub-elements, driver, uh, unplanned stopping, and dwell time. Tell me a bit about those sorts of problems. Yeah, indeed. So if you look at, uh, at, at the driving of the vehicle itself, there's the variability uh, of, of, uh, of, of the vehicle, and that in the end leads to unreliability. And indeed, it consists of, of three factors. It's the driving itself, so maximum speed, interaction with other traffic, that kind of uh, things. Very important also there is the driver, because every driver has his own or her style, um, which also could lead to variability. There's the dwell time which is, of course, helpful if you want to have passengers on your, your trip to uh, <laughs> allow them to board and to align. Yes, if we didn't let them uh, on board, we'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, that saves a lot of unreliability, you could say. Uh, but of course, and this and this process is also, as I said before, it's, it's quite, uh, that, that's a very critical uh, um, process, this boarding and alighting. And it depends on, on uh, the facilities you offer. If you have a very small or a wide uh, platform, for instance, how many doors do you uh, do you have? Do people board and alight at the same door, for instance? That kind of uh, design uh, issues and those choices of this these uh, designs of platforms and vehicles are made 
very long before operations. So if you if your operations are not reliable, it's hard to change these. So that's also my point in my thesis. Think ahead, years ahead, actually, what kind of service reliability you would like to achieve. And then you should involve that in the design process of your stops, of your lines, and also of your uh, of your vehicles. So and then you there's the third, yeah, you mentioned this through the uh, STO framework, don't you? You, which I, I've heard a, a lot discussion uh, uh, from many other forums. That's just strategic, tactical, and operational. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, uh, inform the users how that relates to reliability. Yes, that's, I will start with the end, which is the operation, which is obvious. That's where the buses and trains and trams uh, run, and there is also where you should you see the the unreliability of, of vehicles because that's where the passengers come into into play. Uh, there's there's a lot of things you could do in that stage. If there's a deviation, if there's a blocking, we have control measures. You could maybe uh, turn around, or you could make a have a detour. All that kind of operational uh, measures could uh, could be applied. Um, I didn't focus that much in my thesis, but in the chapter, I'm, I'm also uh, uh, mentioning them. There's a lot of research already for decades on this part, um, and it's useful. Uh, it's important to think about these control measures beforehand. So, um, because, because at the moment there is a disaster, there's something happening and a disturbance, uh, you need your your uh, brain power actually to to put on the things you couldn't done before. So please think ahead of these uh, control measures. If we look at the tactical design, we look at a bit, a bit, a little bit of the longer term. So one, two years. That's where the schedule is designed. So the timetable. Um, in this phase, you could also affect uh, service reliability quite uh, severe. You could say, do you have slack in your schedule, for instance, or not? Uh, do you have tight schedules or not? If you don't have tight schedules, it's easier to catch up, but you have a risk of of uh, operating ahead of schedule, which is very annoying for most passengers. And then we have the strategic level, which is the longer term. Um, and that's where the, the, the service networks, the infrastructure network is designed. And what I saw in my own practice in that stage of designing the tracks, for instance, the switches, as I mentioned, service reliability wasn't an explicit factor there. It was more of a result of this process than a, than a goal. And, and I would say, if you think that service reliability is important and yeah, open every vision or book or planning of public transport, and it is mentioned as one of the main goals, but it's actually neglected in that stage. Make it explicit and design for it. Of course, that comes with a price. That's always uh, in this case, but then it's about costs and benefits. Now you move on to talk about the impacts of service reliability on passengers. So talk a bit about that. Yeah, so passengers are in general affected by service reliability in, in, in three ways. First of all, their travel time is extended. So they face longer travel times, which most of us don't like. We also experience a variability of travel times. So instead of arriving at nine o'clock, uh, you could arrive at 10 after or maybe 5-2 or 20. Every day is different, which is also uh, uh, quite annoying, you could say. That's the second factor. And the third one, and that's depending if you're in high or low frequency systems, uh, is crowding. Because if we have uneven headways, for instance, which we see in many uh, uh, high frequency systems, some vehicles are extremely crowded, other vehicles are quite empty. And then in general, people say, oh, but it's good because people, eh, on average, it's okay. But it's not on average because most people face a crowded vehicle. So most people uh, uh, complain and have the, the negative impacts. Only a few ones are the lucky ones, you could say, to, uh, to have an empty one. So those are the three main impacts. So, yes, the one of the problems of this, of course, is it's hard to measure or it's 
hard to conceptualize a little bit. People say, oh, yeah, it's unreliable, but what do they mean? Do they mean once? Do they mean all the time? Do they mean on average? Do they mean occasionally? Um, so you talk a little bit about uh, care in in understanding what measures to use to, to measure reliability indicators. Yes, indeed. Because also there, I proposed the shift from supply side, uh, supply side perspective towards the demand side, the passenger perspective, because all our classical indicators are focusing on the supply. We have punctuality, so the deviation of, uh, of the schedule. We have re- regularity, which is the deviation of the headways, which are good indicators, by the way. And they are good because they, they show uh, what the level of supply is, and they also are relatively easy to, uh, to, to grasp and to, to understand. However, what I, what I found is they do not completely catch, capture the passenger experience. As I said before, uh, for instance, driving ahead of schedule is completely different than driving uh, late. Three minutes late has a completely other impact on passengers than three minutes ahead because in low-frequent systems, people tend to go to the stop using the schedule. If they are there and the vehicle already has left, they have to wait a full headway. Uh, and that's, that's uh, quite longer than just a few minutes of delay. So that's only one example of, uh, of, of, uh, of a difference. And what I did is suggesting a new indicator from the demand perspective, namely the additional travel time. So what is the impact of the variability of the supply side on the passenger experience? And that's this additional travel time. By average, the travel times are longer. And we also see a distribution there. So these values are stochastic. Uh, those are the main main impacts I, I try to grasp with this new indicator. So is that like a passenger weighted delay, which I've I've seen at TFL use Transport for London have used those sorts of measures. Yeah, they are quite related. Actually, when I was uh, was doing my uh, my thesis, I also did a benchmark uh, to to learn from other countries. And indeed, London, I think, is one of the best examples. They also have this excess waiting time, indeed, indicator. They are, they are quite related to the work I did. Also in uh, South America, we also saw saw similar indicators, and they're all actually trying to do the same thing. What is the impact of service reliability on the passenger? So, how many minutes? Uh, of of delay does the passenger face. That's true. Fantastic. So um, now your chapter then talks about the Holy Grail, which is about improving reliability. So tell us, how do you do it? Yes, there are a couple of Holy Grails, uh, to to be honest. It's, of course, always context-dependent. And in general, I believe that there's there's not one measure you should take and then it's solved. I was involved in this Lightrail project I mentioned. Uh, and we had a, a full program of trying to make this system uh, highly reliable. And this program consisted, again, of strategic measures, tactical measures, and operational measures. So I think you should spend uh, attention and also money on all layers uh, trying to get the best out of your system. Um, and that is, again, making a plan for uh, disturbances on the operational level. Now you could think about, uh, as I said before, about detours, but especially with rail-bound systems. If you want a detour, you also should facilitate detours, providing the correct infrastructure. You could facilitate short turning, but same there. If there's no turning facility, it's hard to short turn with a, with a, with a <laughs> rail vehicle. Um, it's also about skipping stops. I, I, I see, we see them uh, uh, in other cities as well, also in regular operations, trying to speed up a bit if you face a delay. All kinds of operational measures which could, uh, could help. Main uh, lesson there or main tip from my side is what is the passenger pattern? 
because you would you want to facilitate the passengers. So you need to be aware where are my passengers, when, in which direction, uh, and that's quite uh, a, an important variable to pick the best rescheduling uh, strategy. Yes, I could see the logic of that because yeah, your operations are not stable, uh, not working the way you want, and if you're going to adjust them. You need to minimize the passenger impact of that and maximize the passenger benefit of it, I guess. Uh, how do you do that, Niels? Now, what's very useful if we talk about passenger patterns these days is uh, you know, smart car data. We got a lot of insights nowadays. Uh, in my work, I was uh, in the company, I was one of the first to, to work with these new data sets. Uh, we're talking about 10 years ago and, and beyond. And the first one is smart car data showing where people are traveling. In the Netherlands, we have a, a helpful system there because we have to tap in and to tap out. So we have complete view on, on passenger patterns, which helps. And also AVL data, automatic vehicle location data, showing the, the characteristics and the dynamics of, of the vehicles are very uh, helpful. Also to, to get insights in this interaction of passengers and, and, and vehicles. So that's the first step to understand. And then what I did in my uh, thesis and also in my follow-up research it's about modeling, it's about simulating, it's about uh, analyzing and optim optimizations, trying to, to, to do deal with the trade-offs, uh, because it's also about trade-offs between passengers. Maybe passengers in one direction are helped by your measure, for instance, short-turning. Short-turning is not so helpful for people in the vehicle, yeah. but it might be helpful for, for people in the other direction uh, who are waiting for hours for a vehicle. And that kind of trade-offs, uh, mathematics, of course, very helpful. Um, and in the end, it's the operator who decides uh, when to when to uh, apply them. But it's up to us researchers to show these uh, these trade-offs. I think. Yes, of course, it's very hard for the operations people who are, you know, the um, um, things are going wrong in real time. Uh, they don't have a lot of time to go and uh, you know start up the computer and get, get their models working. Um, they've got to try and use rules of thumb, haven't they? Really. And I've often found there's a there's a barrier between the operations staff who have to make uh, decisions in real time, and the geniuses behind their huge, great big black boxes who could well solve this problem. But unfortunately, getting them to work together at the same time is not always that easy. What's your recipe for solution solving that problem, there, Niels? Yeah, it's it's not not. I, I totally see this uh, issue. By the way, uh, great. That's that's uh, quite recognizable. I think. What the, in the end, the recipe is to, to try to combine both worlds in, in a good way. It's not that the, the researcher know, know everything best. And from a theoretical perspective, they, they have interesting ideas. The operators and the dispatchers, they know what's actually happening on the streets. And if you somehow could combine it, uh, and, that, and that means that if you start to talk about optimization, what we do a lot, of course, in, in science... I don't think that the, the 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 maximum how do you say the full mathematical optimization is is the best solution. In general, it's always good to listen to some barriers and and context factors from the from the drivers from the dispatchers, and take to take that into account. That probably will decrease your optimal solution a bit, but makes it much better to be applied. Because in general, I'm afraid that the many optimal solutions are never going to be applied because of practical issues. And that's, and that's a pity. But this is, a, this is not an easy puzzle. Um, what, I, what I did myself, which was really helpful for me to gain insights, is just work a couple of days in a week in a control room. Get up very early, I can tell you. 
and and sit there and see what's happening and and don't tell them what to do. Just sit there, listen, yes. and learn. I think that's the, a, that's a the yes. One piece of advice I heard is um, one of the best things to do in research and investigation is to listen uh, because. Uh, you learn a lot. Also, there's such barriers between platform staff and head offices. You know, they're almost two worlds, and that's not very helpful for either. Head office thinks it knows everything, and it doesn't. And the frontline staff uh, really know an awful lot about what's going on. I love the thoughts that you've got there, uh, Niels. Um, now, this is a, a researching podcast. We're interested in research topics. What are the interesting research topics in reliability these days, Niels? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm happy to see that the last decade or so, last two decades maybe, we saw a lot of service reliability research. The shift from supply side towards demand side is, I think, common common practice nowadays with researchers. So that's that's a very good uh, move, I would say. Uh, but there's still still new challenges uh, on our pathways if we talk about uh, service reliability. And that actually also um, consists of this, this access egress I mentioned before. I think the challenges now are not per se on the public transport trip itself. I mean, from a research perspective. In, in practice, we still have challenges on that part. But from a research perspective, I think it's interesting to look at the whole chain, door to door. What is the, the, the service reliability level of passengers uh, using new micro-mobility modes or bicycle or whatever to go to the stop, take public transport, maybe make a transfer in between, because that's also a very... A uh, critical point, you could say, from a social liability perspective. And then at the end, they also have an egress part. So zooming out a bit from the PT operations itself towards the full passenger uh, experience, I think that's uh, on the agenda for uh, coming years. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you about. What, where are we going on all of this? What are the new frontiers in research? What are the topics of tomorrow, do you think, in this field? Yeah, besides this one uh, is also what's the value of this? I mentioned a couple of times there are costs involved and costs are relatively easy to calculate. The benefits, however, are harder to uh, to calculate and to analyze. And that's um, talking about cost-benefit analysis. Uh, I think it's important to, to make a step towards improved reliability, which is still not very tangible, towards... Uh, what's the value in dollars, euros, or whatever? And that's that's an important step if you want to justify your investments. Uh, that's one of the things. And the other one is um, um, changing our transport models. Right? We have a lot of transport models out there, which are very valuable. But one of the things in most of these models, all public transport runs on time, which is great, but also a bit naive. So trying to put an actual level of service reliability or unreliability in those models uh, if we can make that step, that could also be very useful. And we made, we already made some first steps there. So there's, uh, there is uh, already a start. But I think we can improve on those research options. Well, that's a very useful and interesting dive into your world, Niels. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, folks, uh, you can find out more about uh, Niels Van Ott and his work uh, in the show notes. Uh, we've got some links to the work he does. And uh, his chapter is chapter 13 in the Handbook of Public Transport Research. Uh, you can find out that handbook by looking on Edward Elgar Publishing. Just search on the name Handbook of Public Transport Research. Uh, also, it's available at Google Books, Amazon, and at your local library. Uh, thanks very much for your time, Niels, and we'll uh, look to talk to you again 
in future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Graham. You've been listening to Researching Transit, the public transport research podcast. Today's host was Professor Graham Curry. Our producer is Gillian Area. This show is brought to you by the Monash University Public Transport Research Group. For more episodes and information about public transport research, visit our website at ptrg.info or check out the research database run by PTRG at www.worldtransitresearch.info. If you enjoy our show or have any feedback, let us know. We're on Twitter with the handle Transit Podcast, or you can find out more ways to contact us in the show notes. See you next time.